Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to The Suitcase and the Stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, along with, as always, Mike McKenna. Another edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe. I have to, Mike, before we get going, I have to give props to Mike Manscalco of the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, the uh, fine play-by-play voice of the Canes. I'm in Raleigh, do a little stuff this week. Mike's not here, but I'm squatting in his office, so... <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of, you know, mixing it up a bit. And uh, I've, I've made myself at home. Mike's still recovering from uh, the Hurricanes road trip to Dallas, a disappointing uh, uh, setback for them on the road. But uh, anyway, that's where I'm at. How are things going for you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving, my friend? Uh, yes. And thanks for asking, you know, being the American of the two of us, of us on here. But you're such an honorary American at this point, Scott. You are an American, correct? Dude, I, I've, I've been a U.S. citizen for like a decade and a half. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm like, fully invested. Yeah. Like you're basically like uh, Bob Dylan, man. Like you're an American, you know, but uh, no, Thanksgiving was awesome. You know, it wasn't a big celebration, had family over, smoked a turkey, didn't overcook it. Like it was all the traditional right. things. It was great. And, yeah. uh, you know, November was was a lot of fun and uh you know i've i've i decided to keep my mustache for another couple days here just because yeah. i feel very regal with it scott but you know it's very kind of the of the hurricanes to allow you to have that space one you look terrific on camera and two it's just a very very nice backdrop and we should be very thankful to them it's good it's got great lighting there's no question about it but uh and i when i see your mustache you know the last time i had a mustache i believe it might have been my first year of university carlton university in ottawa i was 18 and uh every once in a while i'll come across a picture and i'll be like no that's not for me so there but you it was very on brand well. for the times was it not scott Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Essex County boy. Yeah. I was, I was doing what I could. So, um, all right, let's, we got so much going on. I, so I'm so much. So it's, it, uh, it, it never fails that there's all kinds of news to talk about, but Menel Riome is going to join us. Your longtime pal. Uh, you've had a long I, connection with Menel. In fact, I, I don't know she won't probably remember, but, but I did a story on her during the final in, she was in Tampa, 2015. So, um, but just what an incredible woman! What an incredible story! So, can't wait to talk to her. She's uh, doing color for the uh, her analysis for the Red Wings. A big win for them uh, mm-hmm. as well. Speaking, and we're going to touch on what's going on in Boston. But let's set the stage. Talk about Thanksgiving. Pretty good post Thanksgiving for the uh, Hughes family, and specifically Jack Hughes. 
I was going to say former number one pick, but you know that drives Frank Cervalli crazy. He's not a former number one pick. <laughs> he was a number was one number overall one. pick, which is true. I try not to put that in my copy. Eight years, $8 million. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I totally... I totally understand, right? It's the, it's the marketplace. The market is what it is, even a, in a, a flat cap world. Um, and I get, I've known Tom Fitzgerald, GM in New Jersey in a, a long time. And I, 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 you know, Tom's doing the job in New Jersey. I don't know if they're there yet. They get pounded last night by San Jose. They're not quite there yet, but big, you know, big steps, Dougie Hamilton signing in the off season. That's a big bite there and a big commitment. And this mm-hmm. is the same for me. Eight times eight. Uh, he's played 120 games, uh, according to HockeyDB.com. 55 points. That's not a lot. And I, I don't know. Like I, I, I get you're not you don't you're not signing him so he'll score, you know, three goals against the Sharks. Although it would have been nice. But I don't know what. Tell me. I'm not. I'm not going to throw Jack Hughes under the bus. It's way, way too early. I totally understand that part, but man, that's, that's a big contract to live up to for a young man who, you know, really struggled in his rookie year. He has yet to find his real groove. There's, you know, there've been some injuries, man. It just seems like a lot early on for Jack Hughes, but what do you think? There is so much hoping going on with this contract (laughs) and and I don't know who's driving force behind it. I don't know whether the Hughes camp went to the devils and said, Hey, I want to be here. Let's lock it down. I don't know if it was converse. I don't know if devil's ownership said, this is a linchpin player that we need to take any question marks out of it and make him one of our own Nico. Heischer's tied up on a long-term contract as well. So I can understand from the perspective of the team that we want to have our top two centers locked out, but eight times eight for a guy that's got 55 points in 120 games. And I understand that his game was trending the right way, but the sample size is so small. I mean, and this is, this is territory where a couple of years ago we were talking about maybe a two or three year bridge deal, like low level bridge deal, not even high level bridge deal, like a couple million bucks bridge to all of a sudden eight times eight. And I always have trepidation for these contracts because they can blow up in a manager's face so hard and so fast. And and this could, this could be an albatross down the road, but it also from the team perspective, once again, could be a value, but how many value contracts do we really see? I mean, Brad Marchant's one that comes to mind. Yeah, for sure. You know, Will Carlson in Vegas is another, they exist. Nathan but, McKinnon's coming off a mm-hmm. pretty pretty darn good bargain for the Colorado Avalanche, right. but you're right. It, but it's it's also well, and let me ask you because to me, what what the and it takes a special player. Yeah, he's a special player, right? That's we've been told that all the way along. I, I I believe it must be true on some level. He's not a special NHL player yet. He may yet be that player and he may be that sooner than later and certainly the devils hope so but all of a sudden i think of mitch marner in toronto and i think of the pressure that comes now to any young player any 19 20 21 year old at the how old is jack hughes right i mean he's he's a boy right the pressure he's 20 years old he's 20 so the pressure on a 20 year old man boy to live up to a new eight times eight it's the term and the dollar right it's it can be crushing maybe it will not be crushing for jack hughes but it, the potential is there and i think of you know in mitch marner completely different media market but you think about you know it's not just that mitch marner you know doesn't score in the playoffs or he gets off to a slow start he's what is it 10 million dollars whatever the number is that the contract <laughs> it's a lot. The contract at, attaches itself to a young player like in uh, I never I didn't really see them. But that isn't that the Venom thing, that Marvel thing where the suit gets on, the you know, and it's part of their person. The contract's like that. Mm-hmm. Am I, are you with me on that? Venom? Oh, yeah, I, I got, got you. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, I, mean, I don't know. You yeah. have to wear the contract and you've got to play up to it now. Here you go. You want it. You got it. But I. I 
boy, I, I, I'm just shocked at how negotiations went. I thought I could have seen like, Hey, we'll give you six times eight. <laughs> you know, like I'm just, I'm blown away by this. Like I, there, I was looking around for comparables and I really couldn't find anything to me as for a 20 year old player in an entry level that hasn't really knocked the door down. I couldn't find anything. Like the closest thing I could think of was, it was Thomas Shabbat and he's a defenseman, you know, yes. on the eight by eight. And he'd already really proven he was a top tier D man in the league. And, and again, it's apples to oranges, centerman to defenseman, but um, it's, unpre- it's uh, frankly, I think it's unprecedented. So it's a gamble. It's a risk that I'm risk averse in general <laughs> economics major, you know, I, I conservatively with money and things, but um, good for Jack Hughes, man. Like I tell you what, that Hughes family, they, uh, you talk about building a home on a golf course. I think they can build the golf course at this point. Yeah, I, I will. I will only say this, and I'm just looking at the 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 Devils um, roster on on cap friendly, and oh my gosh, they are young. But there's so yeah. much to. I I really like. I really do like what they're doing there. And, and now they, you know, they're they're hanging around. They're still hanging around the, yep. you know, the playoff bubble. But you know, Dawson Mercer on the edge of the oh, Calder so Trophy discussion is so good there. Um, you know. You know, they, all those kids, uh, you know, Jesper Bratz, uh, mm-hmm. you know, feels like he's been around forever. He's 23. I don't know. I, I I like what they're doing there. And I get And let me ask it this way, and then we can move on. But don't you also think some of this has to do with the marketplace, right? I mean, New Jersey is not. It's not a destination place, right? right. In, in the traditional way that Vegas or... Pittsburgh for the last, you know, since Sid came in, uh, you know, of course, the big markets, Philly, Toronto, it, it's not a destination place. And right. by landing Dougie Hamilton, I think, I mean, there's a certain element of, well, okay, let's, you know, let's lock our guys up mm-hmm. so that we're not chasing. And I think that that's been the challenge in New Jersey, you know, after Lou left and then Ray Shiro came in and now Tom Fitzgerald is, is there. Challenge is got to lock that core up as it is for every team, I suppose. But I think it's it's harder in a market like New Jersey. Agree? No, I, disagree? No, no, I totally agree. I mean, I've played for the Devils. I know what it's like to be there. And it, it's like anything. Like, you can find a nice place to live. You're right by New York City. But it's not the fashionable place to play. Everybody wants to play for the Rangers. You sure. know, Broadway. Like, it's MSG. Like, you don't think of the Prudential Center in downtown Newark, New Jersey, as the place that you want to go, especially yeah. after dark. Okay. And that's just reality. Like you get out of there and you get on the train and you get out of town and it's just different in that way. But the selling point for New Jersey are the things that you mentioned. This is a team that has real young talent. That is really good. It's real. They need their D to start to develop a little bit more. They need to tighten up defensively, but they've got a good young goalie in Blackwood. They've got a supporting yep. goalie in Bernier. The scoring, like you said, Brad's been around Sharangovich. You're going to have Heischer and Mercer and uh, and uh, and Hughes as well. Yeah. I mean, we're going down the list here of pretty good players, and it is a real perception thing. I mean, Taylor Hall didn't want to be there. He did. He also didn't believe in where the team was headed. That was a key yeah. factor. I get that, but let's not joke around. Like, I, I don't think Jersey is that big destination. But yeah. it's um, but but if you build the right culture, if you get people to buy in, this is what you need. So there is yeah. a selling aspect to that. And, yeah. you know, I look elsewhere. Let's let's look at Montreal, for example. OK, <laughs> let's go. Let's pivot to there and think nothing. Nothing going on there. Nothing's nothing going on there. You talk about a culture that's way off right now. Yeah. You get players talking about it behind closed doors going, what is going on here? Yeah. Nobody knows what's going on. And it's been like that for like a easy month. And they finally get movement. Mark Bergevin's fired. They fire the PR guy. They get, they get rid of the head scout. Yeah. Like Mellonby resigns, like total chaos. Yeah. And then Jeff Molson, by the way, St. Lawrence class of 92. So fellow Laurentian okay. uh, comes They're out. Everywhere. And, yeah. And, but Jeff Molson comes out and says, we need to change top down yeah. management. We need a refresh. And they end up hiring Jeff Gordon from the New York Rangers to oversee the hockey department, not to be the general manager, mind you. Yep. Jeff Gordon only speaks English. He can't be the general manager, but he can oversee things. And our Frank Valley at Daily Faceoff made the point that this might be a unique structure where Gordon's doing a lot of the managing from the top down in conjunction with whoever may be hired 
as the yeah. general manager that can speak French. Where, can do you see, French. Yeah. where do you see this going? What names are you hearing associated with it, Scott? Yeah, well, and I've, I've got, um, I, I, I think for some people who maybe aren't, you know, aren't familiar with the Montreal marketplace, maybe they are anti-French, whatever it is. I think there is often a rush to judgment about when, when a team comes, I, I, I give Jeff Molson all kinds of credit. He's very candid. They're not hiring an Anglo GM. And just as yeah. it's hard to imagine an Anglophone head coach. So does it, does it dramatically narrow the, the, the pool from which you can draw and build a Stanley cup? winner yeah of course it does but that's montreal and i get it that market demands it mm-hmm. and so they shall have it but and frank's point is an excellent one jeff gordon is like the perfect end around he's going to be the de facto gm at least on on many levels he's going to make significant hockey decisions at some point like I, honestly like poor dominic ducharme there i I don't know. I, to me, it looks like a man who's overmatched as a head coach. So, it, you know, if there is a coaching change at some point between now and the start of next season, Jeff Gordon will be the man with his hands on the levers there. At some point, they're going to hire a GM. It might be Matthew Darsh in uh, Tampa, director of player personnel. That I talked to a, another executive uh, this week, and he, that was he liked Matthew Darsh as, as the guy. Yeah. Daniel Briere's name has come up. Uh, you know, Patrick Roy's name. I, I like him more as a coach there, frankly. But Patrick Roy uh, put his name in the ring. Let's put it that way. Okay, why not try me? What do they have to lose, you know? He's not wrong, maybe, but I'm no. not – I guess – and you're and, and I wonder what you think of it, but to me, the absolute key to this is it, it can't just be, well, let's hire a French guy. And and, yeah. and make him go out and talk to the media. Well, no, it's going to be a hockey person who has command of the French language, can communicate to the fan base through a media market that is unlike any, I would argue, unlike any other in, in pro sports anyway. Yeah. It's just so different there. So it you, is, yeah. you have to have a smart guy and, and they have to work together. Do you, I mean, do you do you like it? Are you are you on board? I'm fine. I think I I am not a big guy when it comes to groupthink. Mm-hmm. But I do think having an overseeing president of hockey operations, whatever you may title that, has a significant amount of value. It is a check in place. And, you know, like it would do Jeff Gordon a bunch of a big favor to learn a little French while he's there. We expect, sure we expect you know, yeah, people to come and learn English. He can learn some French. I bet he will, knowing I'm his sure personality. I think that'll happen. Yep. But I do think we need to go throw, throw caution to the wind here, acting like there's not French Canadian or French speaking people that can't fill this role. Like there are men and women, hundreds of an intelligent French Canadian people that can fill this role as general manager of the Montreal Canadians. Okay. Men or women. So that's right. Yep. um, But to your point here, you know, like the names that have been thrown out, Roberto Luongo, I don't think he's going to leave Florida. He's a goalie guy. He's never done management on a big scale. Danny Briere, he's day-to-day operations of an ECHL team. Not really the general manager. He like, Danny Breer doesn't have front office experience as much as I love him. I would be shocked yeah. at that hire Marty Lapointe. That's an in-house hire. If the Montreal Canadians were to move him up from a role, he's currently the director of player personnel and amateur scouting given Jeff Molson's comments. I don't see that happening. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm looking at this from my perspective from somebody that I know on a personal level that I've worked with uh, at the minor league union at the PHPA. And I've seen what he's done at the NHLPA when it comes to CBA negotiations. And this is Matthew Darsh. And you talked about him briefly. And this is a guy who's not just going to fill that role. This is a hockey person who understands who's, who can be, he can be progressive. He can be innovative. He went to McGill university as a degree in commerce. He came out of school, worked in international supply chains while being an analyst on RDS, learning the league again for another six years while playing, then being hired by Julian Brisebois because Julian Brisebois believes in Matthew Darsh and remembered him from from CBA negotiations. Like this is a guy who fits the bill here. Okay. And I know it sounds like I'm kind of beating the drum for him, but like, I don't see a better candidate. I see this as somebody who I think could succeed in this role, Scott. And, And I just, I have a sense of Matthew Darsh that he would be very good at this. And yeah. I think that he could work for you, especially knowing his personality. Like, I'm not going to protect like we're, pretend like we're best friends or anything, but I've at least been in a boardroom with him. I know that yeah. this is a person that can get results and do it in a in a in a way that players will respond to today. Because that's a huge aspect, isn't it, Scott? Like the yeah. players have to buy into their leadership. 
Well, and th- I mean, there's there's a lot of work to do there, right? I mean, the whole, yeah. you know, and, and not all, you know, not all of it's Mark Bergman's fault, not all of it's Dominic Ducharme's fault. I mean, the whole, you know, Carey Price situation, which you and I have talked about, um, the absence maybe forever of Shea Weber, mm-hmm. uh, the departure of Philip Deneau, the departure of Corey Perry. Uh, Even Kogganiemi. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's as weird as that was. He's still gone. It's a young talent. So there's a lot of work to be done there. And I don't I was looking at it. it, There's not a lot of obvious, you know, it's not a team with five or six pending UFAs that you try and move at the deadline and then you move on from in the offseason. That roster's constructed. I mean, there's just lots of work to do there. The back end is not great. And it's not great because, you know, they haven't had Joel Edmondson for most of the year. No Weber. It's forced Jeff Petrie into a role he's probably not equipped to do every night. Anyway, it's there's a lot of work yeah. there. And if, and if it's Matthew Darshan, Jeff Gordon, man, you, they and they will have to hit the ground running. So it'll be yes, it'll be interesting. There have to be a couple of key signings for sure. Like they'd have to build one or two key signs. But I think they can change that team with it quickly. I really yeah. do. But that's just my outside belief. <laughs> now, tell me, how's your French, by the way? Je parle, je parle un peu français, mais ce n'est pas bon. Uh, je m'appelle Mike, j'adore jouer au hockey. Uh, je suis un gardien de but. I think I just said I was a goaltender. I think. <laughs> I think so. I, I, I mean, I... We're going to get roasted by our by our French speaking listeners here. (laughs) Uh, I wonder if there is. uh, See how about how is this for a segue? I wonder if there's if you could do use DoorDash to get like traditional French food, you know, like a tortillere or um, you know stuff like what else? um, Poutine. Poutine, maybe. I will admit. uh... I will. Maybe you've never done this, but I have been to Montreal a few times and. Sometimes late at night, there is nothing better than poutine. So, it, and, and but now, it has to have the real cheese curds. Oh yeah, no, it you can't, can't just have... be the mozzarella slapped on nah, top. No, nah, it's got to be real. <laughs> uh, anyway, as uh, you probably know, DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of podcasts, restaurants, and more delivered right to your door. We'll do a little research see if you can get some tortillera or some. I'd be, I'm for sure you can get poutine delivered, but yep. you're right. It has to be quality poutine. So, yep. It's not like the streets of St. John's where they just whip out the fries and the, and the gravy out of a can and a big batch of mozzarella. But I tell no, you what, even on, the, even on George street in St. John's, oh. that brutal version of poutine tastes pretty good at about 3 AM, man. <laughs> uh, I, anyway, it's a story for another day. I spent a, uh, I, the week after nine 11, I was in St. John's Newfoundland I was waiting for the Leafs to arrive for training camp, and they, of course, never showed up after 9-11. And I spent the week there along with hundreds and hundreds of travelers who were stranded from all over the world. In fact, it's that that period of time when I was there is the source of a Broadway play, I believe, mm-hmm. from away. Uh, it's all kinds of What stuff. a unique thing there. to be a part of. It was know? incredible. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Um, all right. I wonder, and since I'm in Carolina, mm-hmm. I have not asked Rod Brindamore his feelings on having to shell out $25,000 for uh, sharing his opinions on uh, a call in Sunday's game against the Washington Capitals. But anyway, he did get a $25,000 slap on the wrist from the NHL. I I didn't think it was that bad, actually. And the, he, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm using Mike Maniscalco's office. Not totally. I, the the problem was like he wasn't. He, there was a penalty for slashing, and I now I'd have to go back and look. But anyway, the broke the stick of a Washington mm-hmm. player. It's a penalty, but the play is offside. It, the plays it. Yeah. The play is dead. It does not. That slash never happens if the officials make the right call to begin with. Yeah. But they don't. They take the penalty. They end up, you know, they, it's a, that game was dynamite. It was a really good hockey game. And the, and the penalties ended up killing um, the Hurricanes in the third period. The Caps took advantage and ended up winning a, an important divisional game. And now Rod Brindamore is $25,000 later. Yeah, yep. I, I, I get the NHL. I, the NHL can't have its coaches or officials anywhere bad-mouthing its people. I, I get that. But 
I don't know. What do you feel? Well, I just, it's the funniest thing in the world to me that a coach can get dinged for 25 G's for being animated on the bench, not saying anything derogatory on a personal level to a referee and a player can stick a guy in the balls and only get suspended. You only pay five grand worth of fine. <laughs> like, I mean, like for real, like, dude, like you could literally two hand a guy or, or slash a guy and you might get dinged for a couple grand and you're a player making 8 million, 10 million bucks. But the coaching staff who makes significantly less than that, they still make great money, but yeah. 25 G's man, like that's a nice used, you know, Honda pilot. Or so, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, that's reasonable money. And it's the second time it's happened to Rod Brindamore. Yeah. And I just, I watched this slide. I see him on the bench and yes, he's animated, but there was a memo that went out to teams October 18th that said, you can, basically, I'm paraphrasing this, but you cannot badmouth our officials. You can't scream at our officials and you cannot be visibly upset at our officials. <laughs> and, and they're trying to protect the officials, but yeah. how are we taking this? passion away from the game you know like the officials are adults people know how this works and i i know we're trying to set the precedence i coach eight you kids okay eight you youth hockey we can't get referees nobody wants to deal with it and (laughs) but come on really you're gonna ding them for that and like you said i mean they had if they had got to play got the call right you know it's the hindsight on it is is yeah. what it is, but it was a penalty. And the first penalty was, you know, the, the Carolina Hurricanes were already down five on four, and then Aho breaks somebody's stick, and now it's five on yeah. three. That's just reality. I think Rod yeah. was just – I think Rod was frustrated with his team more than anything. Yep. And, and these types of outbursts are calculated. You know what you're getting into. Like, he's not a dumb guy. He didn't just fly off the handle and look back and go, oh, whatever. Like – I, I think in these instances, you're trying to get your team going as much. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and I think it's okay to, he like, he's like, to me, okay. What the message is, yeah, and it's right at the bench. So everyone knows it plays offside. It should have been called offside. Anyway, so you just stand there. And you're like, well, I mean, you want your players to play with emotion. I think it's okay. I, anyway. Yep. I feel I feel bad. I'm see if I get some loose change. If I well, see here's Rock. the thing. Everybody around the league has this huge soft spot for Brindamore because <laughs> they remember him as a player, how he was. They see how he coaches. Yeah. Like you almost feel bad that this is the guy getting <laughs> knocked in the wallet, right? Like it's not like you're the typical habitual offenders you'd expect. Like if, if Mike Keenan had came out of retirement, you'd think, okay, yeah, he's going to get fined nonstop. He's yeah. definitely the guy. And no, Maybe it's John Tortorella. Yeah, Tortorella. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I don't know, man. It's it kind of it kind of leads us to another topic, though, of fine yeah. suspensions and and overarching here to me, the Boston Bruins. There's yeah. a lot going There's on lot in Boston. Going, there is a lot going on there. Yeah. There's a lot going on in Boston for a team that is really trying to make a push and yeah. get back into the playoff picture. They're only three points out of a wild card, card spot currently. Yep. They've battled COVID. Tuka Rask hasn't been there. Olmark and Sweeman are playing better, but they're missing depth scoring. One of those pieces is Jake DeBrusque, who's yep. asked for a trade. And then you've got Marshot, who's been suspended for slew footing and comments to Panarin and a glove thrown at him. And like <laughs> Bruce Cassidy's in COVID protocol. Providence, the American Hockey League team is in entirely in lockdown they can't recall anyone scott can they turn this around and make playoffs can they soldier through it and make playoffs especially missing brad marshawn and what do you think of the slew foot uh suspension the three games yeah i i thought i thought it was heavy really and i don't like a i don't like a slew foot that's a that's a that's a dirty play i can't matter i don't know who I saw someone on Twitter, some uh, uh, former player, describe it as the worst play in hockey. I, I'm not, I don't know if it is or not, but it's, it's I can dangerous. think of worse things. <laughs> yeah, I can think of, yeah. yeah. Um, it's, a, it, it's a dirty play, though. And I think the NHL, there's been a whole raft of I know Bruins fans are mad because P.K. Subban's been fine but not suspended. Mm-hmm. It's a dangerous – it's dangerous to have out there. It's like, okay, let's, t- let's take that out. And if you have to throw the book at somebody, okay. I don't think Brad Marchand's a bad place to start. So uh, the actual play itself, I didn't think was as bad, but 
it certainly it warranted something. And I'm, I'm sick of the whole $5,000 fine. You mentioned Artemi Panarin throwing his glove. It's just a glove. He didn't throw a stick at him. He didn't no. throw an anvil. He got $5,000. And I watched uh, Josh Morrissey takes a two-hander at Alexander Taxier of the Columbus Blue, like a two-hand chop oh, yeah. to the leg. Paul Bunyan, baby, chopping wood oh, $5,000. I'm like, draw, I'm drawing a line. I don't get like, it. I, it's, it's hard to, I mean, I know it's collectively bargained that this is your max for suspension, but um, I thought the, I thought the Marchand suspension was warranted. It was a dirty okay. play yeah. that, yeah, I, I felt that he, sometimes I think players feel they can get away with things if they do it in a way that's a little sneaky. And he didn't really use his foot as much as he used his knee to take mm-hmm. out Ekman Larson. And yeah. to me, it's the same difference. And, you know, I had this talk the other day, though, that with Tom Sacito, my arch rival on the ice. God, we hated each other. And, (laughs) you know, we we kind of had a fun back and forth on social media about how, you know, he only knew how to play one way (laughs) and he played up to the line. And sometimes that line moved. And I thought it was a great line. (laughs) And I think I might actually reconnect with him about this and uh, and kind of hash it out for the fun of it. But that's where Brad Marchand has to play. That's where Rafi Torres had to play. That's where Matt Cook had to play. That's where Brian Marchment had to play. Like they had to play up to the line to be their best. And sometimes yep. they crossed it. Yep. And Brad Marchant's lost almost a million bucks in fines. Well, or sorry, not fines. I apologize. Not fines in lost salary. Lost salary. From, yeah. from games. Yeah. But you know what? I think you'd take that all day long. It's an investment in how he plays. It's just what he does. I mean, if he's smart, he's, he's, if he's smart, he's probably racking up a million bucks in interest a year alone anyway, <laughs> but, True but I do think that it's, you know, it's, it's a lot right there and they didn't win last night. And DeBrusque is, he wants out, man. He's got Brad Marchant and Taylor Hall ahead of him. And he's thinking, how can I crack this? And he's yeah. not scoring. Wait, I, I'm, and this is not the first time that uh, Jake DeBrusque's name has come up in possible trade talks right i mean he's yeah. it has been a you know an, an uneasy relationship there for the last couple of years i mean he scored 27 goals in 1819 you know that prototypical power forward type he's you know he he's a he's a player that you want and and presumably he's a player that lots of other teams would want too it's yeah. now a question of you know the problem of of course for don sweeney is that now you you've got to you know, it's sort of a distressed sale, right? I mean, he's he's still young. He's 25 years old, so still tons and tons of time. But he wants out. He's got three goals in 18 games. He had five and 41 last year. Um, you know, Healthy I don't know. what scratched the, recently. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what the value is. I don't but either. T- somebody's going to take him. Yes. I, like, if, if there's a deal. But if you're Don Sweeney, and, and to you, you asked it earlier, and of course I ignored it entirely. I do think the Bruins get back into it. I think they're too good. I think, you know, in spite of their sort of up and down and, and the, you know, losing Marshani, they lose a, mm-hmm. a critical game to Detroit. It's good for us when we talk to men on in a few minutes, but, you know, I do think this team is, is gonna, is gonna get there. And I don't know, do you think, are you bullish on them or do you, do you have concerns about them? I could see them treading water. I, I think if they get Tuka Rask back, they're real. Yeah, and that's and I feel that's tough on Olman and or Omark and Swayman because they have done a pretty good job. Yeah. It's been a little bit inconsistent. They've gone in waves, but I just feel like that team's missing its identity in goal. Yeah. I feel like that's a boost enough for them. And this DeBrusque situation, you don't ever want that. That hangs over your head. You can tell that Kim and Cassidy aren't on the same page. Cassidy's questioned his work ethic and. It looks like the fire's been gone from his game. I mean, he went from you know second line to third to fourth to off the power play, and I mean, and let's face it, Boston's missing. You know, David Krejci's not there anymore. Huge piece. Yeah. They're not as deep down the middle as they once were. Yeah, um, yeah they know, missed. Man. They missed Tory Krug, right? Yeah. I mean, and as they much do. as you know, love Charlie McAvoy. He was my he was my Norris pick a year ago. He's a he's a horse, but they miss Tory Krug, right? They haven't 100%. really replaced Tory Krug in that sense. So yeah, they're I'm just looking here. So the the path to me it seems fairly obvious that the Bruins are going to get back in the in, in the hunt and they're going to be a playoff team. It can't be in the Atlantic. It'll have to be as a wild card. They're six Correct. points back of 
Tampa right now. Now they have a couple of games in hand, but I think it's unrealistic to expect the Bruins to catch Florida, Toronto, or Tampa. So if you're going in, you're going in as a wild card. Now you're in that melee with all the teams from the Metro and, and they're all, you know, for the most part outside the Islanders, really, yeah. uh, they're all, they're all pretty good. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's tough. It's, it's tough. Now, what do you, I love to grasp and it's, you know, often misunderstood, I think, and often maligned in Boston, but I, I I'm with you. I think he's one of those people that if he comes back, it just, it's just, it, it solidifies things and yeah. not a knock on all Mark or Swayman, but I, I, I think frankly, having to grasp back is might be critical to this. I think so. I really yep. do. And I really, really like Swayman prospects. Yep. I love his work. Ethic. I like his drive. I like everything he's done from college on up. I do think it's a lot on the plate for a young guy who didn't play very much pro hockey before being promoted. Yep. I do believe that. And I think that that's where you see the inconsistency come in. Like it's harder to find that quicker in your career. If you don't have the base of playing professional hockey at the minor league level and learning how to carry the mail. Yeah. And so I have concerns with him. I hope he proves me wrong. I would not bet against him. All Mark. I just, I, man, I just know he's going to get hurt. Like that's what I'm so scared of. Right. Like he's a yeah. good goalie. I really like him, but man, does he get hurt? And I just Rask gives that an air of legitimacy to that team. I think yeah. the outside optics of it, uh, whether it's fair or not, I mean, perception's reality. And I think you feel that in the locker room. And, yeah. you know, since we're on the topic of goaltending here, I've got, I got something I have to talk about before we yeah. flip over to Mano coming on. How about the Matt Murray situation in Ottawa? For yeah. your contract, $6.25 million a year, signed by Pierre Dorian and crew and Matt Murray, wanted to be part of the Senators, wanted to be part of the rebuild, came over from, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and it yep. has not gone well. It didn't go well last year. This year, Matt Murray gets injured. He goes into COVID. He has real symptoms from COVID. He comes back. He's 0-5. He loses one game, but plays pretty well, 33 for 36, one game. And he's on a road trip, and he gets sent to Belleville, and he's told it's a management decision. You're going to Belleville, and he gets no reasoning or plan or communication from the front office on why and how to get back and what to do. I've been there before, Scott. I've had that same lack of communication from that same staff. I've seen it happen to Mike Condon. Mike Condon was playing hurt for Ottawa. He allows a field goal. He gets sent down. You never see him again. There's a pattern here, and I don't like it. And I think around the league, players know that this is the case in Ottawa, and it's why they will – always struggle to get free agents because they don't believe they're going to have open, honest lines of communication. Do you agree or disagree with me here? Am I projecting? (laughs) No, I, no, I, and I was, I'm so glad that we had a chance to talk about Matt because, you know, listen, Hey, I don't know why you make that deal, honestly, to begin with, like a terrible contract. I'm sorry. I don't understand it. Like who's, I don't know where the scouting is. Great contract for Matt. Yeah, no, I, and it's not his fault, right? I mean, oh, sign, sign it, sign, yeah. sign it. But it's it's not. There was little to suggest. You know, he, he there was the Pet, Pittsburgh was desperate to move goaltender. They were desperate to move Matt Murray. Right. Anyway, there's no anyway. So there's that initial problem, which is why why do you go down this road? Like you could, in my mind, half the term, half the money. Does Matt Murray sign? Probably, and and maybe this. The story is less than it becomes, but the, the heart of it is your point. What is what's realistic to expect in terms of communication? What is the professional way to behave? Is Matt Murray owed an explanation? And and maybe maybe management in Ottawa, maybe management on other teams don't believe their players are owed that. Maybe mm-hmm. at some point, but maybe they don't owe it right away. It's employer employee. You work for me. You do my bidding. We pay you well. You know, I don't owe you anything. I I would like to think that if I was a GM of a team and I was going to make a significant move like this and understanding was going to create a lot of discussion, that I would have a talk, that I would prepare the player and his agent, and that this would all be laid out. And even if you don't have a plan, even if you don't say, hey, we want you to take three, even if you're saying, I don't know if you're ever coming back, then say that. 
mm-hmm. and give, and at least be honest and open about it. And I, I, I'm with you. If, if, if I'm an NHL player now in a flat cap or salary cap situation, flat or not, and you have choices about where to go, do you go someplace where you feel there's a history of players being mistreated or a lack of honesty? All they're going to get is refugees at this point, players looking to reclaim their game. And right now, you, there's not enough players supporting that young core to do anything. They're in last place. I, I just, I really struggle with this because I don't think it's the right way to treat your employees at all. And I don't think that's how you get the best out of them. Yeah. You know, you've got a guy that you've invested this much money in. And it, it's obvious to me that I don't know whether it's management or ownership. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's coming from the top that there's somebody there that believes if you don't perform, we're going to flush you away. That's, we're going to punish you. And that's how you're supposed to learn and get better. And that's not how this works, man. Like, you know, you, you put Matt Murray in Belleville, he gets another voice. He gets to work with Justin Peters, who's a longtime professional goalie, who is now the goalie coach there. And, you know, Justin is, I tell you what, Justin Peters is somebody who, I didn't expect to become a goalie coach, but it's gotten rave reviews for the work he's done. Came in and interviewed really well for that job and was prepared really and smart. diligent. And maybe this is good for Matt Murray, but you need to tell him, hey, we're going to send you to Belleville. We want you to get your game back. And the thing is, like, why do it after playing? He, Matt Murray came back from COVID. COVID yep. hit him really hard. He lost the 15 pounds he gained this summer. And plays one game and you bury him. Like, why didn't him coming out of COVID protocol, you send him to the American League then on a rehab stint to find his game and come back strong? Like, it's just mismanagement straight up. Like, I don't have any other way to say this. Like, it's frustrating to me to see. And I don't know. I don't know how Ottawa gets around that. Like, you just you're going to get refugees and draft picks the rest of your tenure here, especially if you're not willing to spend to the cap. Yeah. Well, and I I, I, before we take a break and and then come back with uh, Manon, it. You know, there's DJ Smith. I've known DJ a long time. He was the captain of the Windsor Spitfires when I made a jump from news to sports. And, uh, you know, DJ is out front of this every day talking about the team. And listen, the team is nowhere where they near where they should be. Right. I mean, this he's is out there without water wings, by the way. He's the only one you ever hear from. Is the head Yeah. Coach. Well, and that so, you know, it's. I don't know. It's it, it's about communication all the way around, right? Like, I mean, you, it's like this feeling of, you know, that somehow you're insular that you can avoid, you know, having these discussions with with the people who matter, whether it's your own players or whether it's your fans who are paying the freight. Um, I don't know. I don't like it. What all right, let's take a. We're gonna wait for a second and. When we come back, we'll be talking to Manon Rion. I can't wait. All right, Mike, we are back. And as promised, joined by Manon Rion. And Manon, so it's great to have you here. I, I was telling Mike earlier, I don't know if you remember, you and I spoke during the final in Tampa in 15, I think. And uh, I mean, you you continue to do so much stuff. It's so hard to keep up with all the different things that you're doing. I know we were just chatting. You were in Nashville coaching a team and <laughs> – doing your uh doing analysis and color for the detroit red wings uh are, are you do you still do goalie schools are you still doing instruction as well in the off season or no i'm not doing any instruction uh i think that i play it's too long time ago so teaching my way to play now to young kids uh would not be the best obviously i caught up with the new style with what the goalie does but i always feel like when you want to teach something it's always great to have experienced it and uh without playing the new style i led that to the young goalie coach so i'm just in charge here in michigan like i i took over a girls program six years ago with little caesar and it was really cool because i I got to really build it from the ground up and I started from, I coached the U12. So that's really where I started to build. And this year to see uh, the girls that I started with at the U19 and I I think I got 11 girls, uh, D1 college commitment and eight of them signed this year. The next three is going to be the following year. So it it felt good to have been able to build the program from the bottom up. It must be gratifying. You know, that's, that's the ultimate give back I think when you're working with kids is to see them move on and I mean we've talked about this a couple times because I have girls that are five and eight years old and (laughs) I keep waiting for that moment for my oldest daughter Kenlin who's eight to to meet you and and to explain your story and uh, to go through everything that you accomplished because it's so unique and 
what I love about it is that all these years later, you're still in the game. Okay. Ever since, you, you know, you, you finish playing and you find a way to stay in the game. You're still, you're coaching, you're running little Caesars women's program. And now you're, you've moved full on into the media world and you're gaining more roles. So what's the transition been like now moving on to camera, doing more interviews and, uh, and just communicating the day-to-day aspect of what the Detroit Red Wings are doing? It's been great, actually. Uh, and I think it's a lot to do with my kids being older. I think that when they were younger, I focused on being a mom. Uh, my parents always been there for us as far as like following us everywhere in hockey and taking on any kind of like other role would have taken me away from my own kids. And uh, so, but as they got older, when my oldest one went to college, it started feeling empty. And my youngest one now is going to be 15 this month. So they don't really want to be with mom as much anymore. <laughs> so uh, for me, getting those opportunities now and, and uh, getting out of my comfort zone, do something different. Obviously, hockey is my comfort zone, but being in the media uh, was something new for me, and I had to learn. And, and starting from the bottom up, basically la- learning the way there, and I've been surrounded with absolutely great people at RDS. I started actually at RDS for a year, uh, and I continue to work with them, and the Detroit Red Wings uh, just happened this season. So I'm learning from the Chris Hasgood and Larry Murphy and John Keaton and Trevor Thompson, and they're, they're great. Uh, so it's fun to be working with that group. Yeah. What, what's the, uh, do, and I know, I know those, I covered those guys when I started in sports, covered the Red Wings in 97 and 98 and, and really true pros. Has it been different than you thought it would be to be connected to an NHL team as opposed to maybe at RDS, maybe where the scope is a little bit wider? What's it like to be, you know, to be focusing on a team and especially a team that uh, this year has really taken some significant strides forward. It's been fun. Uh, you get to know the people, the player uh, a lot better on a, a personal level on their play on the ice. And you, when you focus on one, more, just one team, I continue to focus with the rest of the NHL with RDS. So it's not like I cannot just uh, watch a Red <laughs> yeah. Wings game, uh, but it, it's great to see. Uh, and I've been in Michigan for a while. So even if I was not in the media, I saw that rebuild, like mm-hmm. where the Red Wings was really struggling and uh, you know, they tried to make some changes. And when Steve Eisenman came in for me, it's been fascinating to see how he built a team. We knew he had success with the Tampa Bay lightning. And I was really curious to see his approach. And I remember the first pick he made, I think it was cider. And a lot of people was questioning, why did he pick him? And now I'm watching him play. I'm like, yep, he's a genius. Uh, that was the right <laughs> pick. So it, it, it's really fun and fascinating to see this uh, rebuilding and to see the success that they have this year just picking up uh, Alex Nadalkovich this summer how they did that I don't know but that was great I knew Alex from playing uh, in the Plymouth Dwellers here in Michigan he also worked with the same goalie coach and my son they worked together so I knew him personally to have the chance to and I cover him all year last year uh, being in the nomination for rookie of the year and it's just been amazing for for the Red Wings and uh, it's uh, they have a young group of guys that really like each other and have each other's back and uh, they're having fun and it, it shows on the ice. I think that's a really unique aspect to yourself with your story, especially having your son going through uh, the higher level hockey and, and now playing NCAA Division One. You cross paths with a lot of people, and like you mentioned, Alex Nedeljkovic, same goalie coach, knowing somebody on a personal level. I had a similar type of thing when I started to work with the Vegas Golden Knights that I knew a lot of the players and it's so nice to have that insight into them on a just on that lower level like when they've started what's made them a goaltender what's made them a good player Nadelkovic has taken over the crease in the in Detroit and I'm not surprised Scott and I have had long conversations because I'm a big supporter of Alex Nadelkovic. What have you seen that's given him such success this year? I mean, to me, like he's the guy there, the hundred percent and Grice is a good goaltender. Yeah. I, I think he had a, a great year last year too. And I think one of the thing with him, um, they were really patient 
with the hurricanes. They didn't just throw him in NHL at a young age. So he went through the whole like ECHL and then it went to the American League and got uh, goaltender of the year, won the Calder Cup and went on to the NHL. And it took, you know, as soon as he had a chance uh, with Carolina last year, he took over and he, he was really good. He didn't play like obviously played 24 game, I think. So he's short. Mm-hmm. That's why he's still, uh, he can be a rookie of the year this year again. But I think that the the fact that they were patient with him and he had success at every level is confidence. Like we see that in the NHL right now, uh, a lot of those young goalies, like starting like at 24 years old, uh, I think yesterday I was talking about uh, the goaltender duo from the Calgary um, flame, this young goalie, Dan Vladar, like where he's coming from. Like, who is he? Like he went in the minors and play uh, and now all of a sudden he's getting a shot in the NHL. And I think Nadalkovic like is a competitor. I know him forever. He played with the Plymouth Whalers where the team was not the best, but he was facing so many shots and he compete. And if you remember, I don't know if it's the game against St. Louis, uh, he allowed a bad goal. Mm-hmm. And after that bad goal is no way the puck was going in. He made save that you, cannot imagine a goalie made but that's the kind of goalie that he is um you know he's not the biggest goalie I, I know it's crazy to think that a six foot goalie is a small goalie yeah. um <laughs> you know I would have never played in the NHL if that was a fact back then but uh you know he, he's but he's super quick he's super smart he can read the play very well and you know people doesn't give enough credit of those goalie that are really good reading the play it's so important not a lot of people talk about that but I think that that it's one of the key for goaltending. Um, those shooters are so good. You cannot just be a blocker. You need to be able to anticipate mm-hmm. what's going to happen in front of you. And he's amazing playing the puck. He already scored two goals. If he scored in the NHL, he's, be, he's, gonna, he's going to be the only goalie that scored in three different uh, levels. Yep. Um, you know, and that helped. You know, Mike, being a goalie, like one defense love you if you play the puck. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned that in a hard way when I play pro. You better play the puck. Yeah. If not, yeah. They're not going <laughs> to like you. Um, and, and it helped the team. Like a lot of like offensive chances are getting out of the zone easy. Um, so I think that's a combination of all that make him having so much success and he's so humble. It's never about him. It's always about the team and the team love him. Yeah. Uh, so we, we taught, we referred to your son a couple of times, uh, Dylan's at Quinnipiac. I'm curious about your relationship. You know, you're a hockey mom, but you're also a star or a professional goaltender, one of the, you know, a tremendous high profile person. How have you balanced that with Dylan in terms of, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be a hockey mom. Or do you, do you talk, do you talk shop with Dylan? What's, what's that like? You know, I always uh, wait for him to talk to me if he wants to talk about hockey. And obviously if we talk about the game, Having played a position, you know, if it's about his goal or save or things like this, we understand each other. Mike, you know that too. Sometimes mm-hmm. a goalie is going to make a great, it looks like it's a great save, but it was really an easy save. Uh, and vice versa. Sometimes Those are the ones we laugh about. <laughs> <laughs> I love when the we know, like, you know, great save. And you're like, really? No, yeah. that was easy. <laughs> we and know. and the, the opposite too is true, where sometimes someone said, oh, that was a bad goal. No, that was not a bad goal. Did you see like the screen that came in and out and different things. So those are the things that we're able to talk with each other that we get or sometimes like him having made a play in the net, like turn the puck uh, to his defense or whatever, totally made the difference for the next play, but nobody will remember that. But I know that. And to be able to talk with him about that, it's fun. And now my youngest one, he's a defense and, uh, you know, his aspiration is follow his brother's footsteps to play for the U.S. National Development. So I'm looking at the defense in a totally different uh, way. And um, so, which has been a lot of fun too. So it's, it's becoming my favorite position now, defense. (laughs) <laughs> no, so I, I just before uh, Mike, let me jump in. Just so now, were you when Dylan indicated he wanted to be a goalie? Were you okay with that? And then with your youngest, it, it, what was there any discussion? Well, are you gonna are you? Everyone's a goalie, or how how does that work out? You with with that choice for your boys? 
you know, when it started, I was working at Mission Hockey and my, my son was really young. I think he started skating at two years old and they made me a cute little out, like goalie gear for him. And at three had the pads and I thought it was the cutest thing. And, and when he started playing, he was doing both, but he didn't like changing every minute. So he wanted to be on the ice the whole time. It's like, I want to be the goalie. And I thought it was going to be fun at first. And the first time he played a state final, uh, I think it was 10 or 11, I woke up in the morning with butterfly in my stomach and I uh, <laughs> called my mom. I was like, am I crazy to be nervous about this? And she told me it's payback time. And that's when I realized I made the biggest mistake because it doesn't go away. So my youngest one, he started as a goalie too because he wanted to follow his footstep of his brother. And I'm thinking to myself, really, like, can you really choose something else? And he was doing both. And uh, he finally decided to be um, a player instead of a goalie because he always wanted his team to do bad so he can get more shots. And he said, Mom, it's like I'm, sh- I'm hoping my team is bad so I can get more shots. And I don't like to practice goalie, so I'm going to go play players. And that was the best decision because <laughs> I don't think I could have stomach to goalie. Oh, man. I'm, I think I'm facing that down right now. Both my daughters want to do it. The oldest one, eight, she played. She had her first shutout, Mano. She oh, played in a tournament amazing. and she actually, you know how kids tournaments, sometimes yeah. they make like two saves and you're like, yeah, great job, kid. Like she actually made rebound saves, combo saves. And I'm watching this because she was so bad in the first game and didn't even want to stop the puck. And then all of a sudden she got that the switch flip, though. She made a save. And it was like, I can do this. And I could see the joy in her face. And man, I tell you what, it just, I always think back to what you did blazing the trail for women in hockey and think of where women's hockey is at now. And I wonder what the future of it is. You know, like you're actively involved in it with the Little Caesars program in Detroit. You're pushing girls into college hockey now what's the landscape look like five to 10 years from now? Is it, are we able to predict that? I'm really hoping that we're going to have like a professional league where those women uh, doesn't have to have two or three jobs to play hockey. Uh, you look at around uh, on the men's side, yes, so many different level of professional league where, you know, yeah, of course in the ECHL or lower level, you don't make as much money, but you still can make a living of playing mm-hmm. the game where on the women's side, you know, the couple of pro league that they try, like you, you have to have a few, another job and it's not easy to have a job full-time train at that level that they're training and thinking you're going to give the best you know show out there um it, it's really hard like the the best story that i heard it's marie philippe poulain you know the best player in canada and she was going to the rink and it was about like 9 30 at night and one of the person at rds saw her coming into the rink when they were coming out of the ring it's like what are you doing here and she's like that's the only time I can train. I have to wow. work all day. It was 9.30 at night. And, you yeah. know, when you hear those stories, you're like, those are the best female hockey player in mm-hmm. the world. They have to have a place for them to play, not just like every four years at the Olympics and the, the world championship. You know, the women's game, it's different than the men's game. You don't have body checking. So you have a lot more like uh, plays, like skills play that on the men's side you couldn't do because you would get killed if you try some of those plays. <laughs> yeah. So I think it, it's a different game and it's a fun game to watch. Even I had my son, my youngest one, uh, this year watching the U.S.-Canada game and, you know, he started talking about some of the girls. Oh, that's a great move. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's following them on Instagram. And, <laughs> and I think it, it's a great game for both male and female. And mm-hmm. I look at someone like you, Mike, that's got two daughters. Like, now you see your daughter and you you want them to have the same chance and you yeah. had and that's how I look at it my boys they grew up dreaming playing in the NHL and I'm coaching those young U12 girls and I want them to have the same dreams I want them to look up to someone not just looking up to a player in the NHL like I had to do when I was young mm-hmm. uh, that's great stuff. Well, you know, I, I'm just, we'll let you go, but I'm just, I'm so curious. I mean, S- September 23rd, 1992, I think that's the date, the, the, the first game with, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It, it I, you are helping young women and girls that they might would maybe, I don't know. Well, let me ask you the question. Do they have a sense of your experiences and what you did, or are you just the, you're the per you're, coach or you're the person who's helping them here do they do 
do the kids have a sense of, of what you've accomplished or maybe they don't? I think they, I don't know if they have a sense of what I've accomplished. I don't know if they, they can really like understand even myself. I didn't realize how big of a deal it was until <laughs> years later. Uh, it that- was huge. You inspired me, right? Like, <laughs> I know it wasn't just little girls. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was young goalies everywhere. Were inspired by and, you. But when I did that, I, I was not like, I was just going there to, I was giving it an opportunity to play the highest level. And so many times before that, people said no to me because I was a girl to play the highest level. So I went for it. And that's all I knew playing hockey. That's all I was doing. So I didn't realize the impact my story would have on people. But I think those young girls, it's their parents, you know, know about me and obviously talk to them about me. And when I go, when we go to a tournament and someone come up and they have a hockey card of me and that's when they realize, oh, wow, like (laughs) they do care about my coach or I'm on TV doing the the Red Wings and they think it's really cool that. um, And again, like I think having more female talking Mm -hmm. about the game good it's good for those young girls because I have so many parents that said to me my daughter now is watching hockey where before they were not watching hockey so I think that um, when I told my girls that I was going to do that and I may be missing a couple practice during the year or a game uh, but I said I'm hoping that uh, for you like that's something that you look up to and you said I can do this too one day um, that's when they're like, okay, it's okay, Coach Menno, you can miss yeah. <laughs> once in you a got while. Permission. I got permission from them. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's great stuff. Well, Menno, thank you for coming and hanging out with, with Mike and I, and uh, it's terrific. Good luck to your girls' team, and, and we're going we're gonna to be watching that Red Wing team. I think as of this morning, sitting in a wild card spot. How great mm-hmm. is that? So, it's thank amazing. You. Yeah, thank you for coming and hanging out with us. It's been a real treat. Thanks thank you so much. Me. Mike, I don't, I don't have any daughters, but I'm, I'm, I feel empowered. I feel it. That was, it was so great to uh, chat with men on and that's such a positive force in the game. And uh, I think it's cool that she inspired you. I just, I think that's oh. to me, that tells the story uh, about, uh, about what she means to the game. Well, and I'll kind of go back to this. The background to it was Manol and I spoke several years ago when I was doing my own podcast. And she was one of the first people I interviewed. And I couldn't believe that she would talk to me first off. Because, I mean, who am I? You know, just some Joe Schmo. And it's like, no, I know your career. But I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, this is crazy. But I told her that I grew up in St. Louis, a market that had never had a, a homegrown goaltender go to the NHL, much less be drafted anything. And I remember as a kid, being 9, 10, 11 years old and seeing this woman play in the NHL. And she played against the St. Louis Blues in preseason. Yeah. And that's part of the mystique of why I remembered this when she was with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And it just, it was like, man, like if she can do it, I can make it from St. Louis. Like, there, why can't I, you know? And I always looked up to her and just getting to meet her and be friends with her has been really amazing. But then I bring it to that next level of my daughter's. And I tell them, hey, my friend Mano, who did this, she played in the NHL and my girl's eyes just light up, you know, and that's so important. And to have that, even as long ago as it was for her, it gives something tangible for girls to look at as an inspiration. And it did at a time when that really didn't exist. Now you can look up to, you know, today's Olympian women that are phenomenal athletes, the women that are in, in media doing a great job. But at that early period, man, she was really a driving factor for a lot of people. And the funny part is she says, I really didn't realize I had that effect. Yep. You know, it's, it's super cool. And I'm, I'm so happy that she's a part of the game in the capacity she is now uh, in media and coaching, because it's where she belongs, Scott. Like she is, yeah. she's passionate about the game, great personality. Um, I just think the world of Menno. What? Uh, so just before we close hall of fame, I mean, I well, Scott. They don't put goalies in the Hall of Fame, but she probably has a better. She probably has a better shot than Tom Barrasso. Okay, I, I, I knew okay. I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> no, but I meant. But oh, the trailblazer you know, aspect you know, is real. as a as a builder, as a, I, and I know that I know the the women who've gone into the Hall of Fame are. Um, you know, Menon Rion was an Olympian, won a silver medal in ninety eight, yeah. and um, but yeah, in me, I don't know. How to, you know where the fit is because she's not. I don't know, so what's the traditional 
mm-hmm. women's hockey player. You know, like I think of, you know, Haley Wickenheiser, who, you know, straddled both the men's and women's games at different times in her career. Um, but I, I just think her impact on the game, boy. Yeah. Well, your key word there is impact. And if we're talking about builders, I see her in that light. Yep. But, the, but the Hockey Hall of Fame also took about 40 years too long to put uh-huh. Willie O'Rea. So, and, and I'm not here to make it to, to beat anybody up like that at all. I'm yeah. just, I, I, I'm not sure that we always understand the big picture. Sometimes we're quick yeah. to put in, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, Pat Burns didn't get inducted until after he'd passed away and that was an absolute layup, you know? So I, I question yeah. whether they will, but man, like, gosh, I'd like to see it, you know, just for the sheer exactly. factor of what she accomplished and how many people have been inspired by it. I would love to see it happen, Scott. All right. All right. Uh, Speaking of inspired, always inspired when I chat with you, my friend, and that was outstanding work today. And uh, we'll do it again next week, as always. And thanks for for another great show. Good job by you. What a pleasure, Scott. This is this is the highlight of my week, man. We just get to sit and hang and talk. It's better. I I tell you, it's way better than just trading emails constantly. We just get to ham it up. I don't know if you noticed, I had to put my headphones on halfway through the NC State basketball team was practicing. So <laughs> we got a little ambient noise. There's no ice here yet, but tomorrow there will be. So anyway, next week, my friend, good job. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode.